Headliner Radio, the creative voice. All right, Stefan Abingdon, aka Stefan with a pound. Welcome to Headliner Radio, mate. Thanks very much for having me, dude. How are you? Yeah, all good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing well. I've just yeah. um, slammed some toast down. I've got my coffee next to me. I'm doing good. pandemic life in Putney yeah it's been it's been all right it's bizarre I feel like the kind of not that this is like greater outer London you know it's just mildly out of London but I feel mm. like all these areas have felt quite busy because obviously normally people are kind of working in the city but everyone's just milling about <laughs> not knowing what to do with themselves but um, uh, yeah. but no it, it's been good man I've been I, I can't complain the, all the family have been healthy People are starting to get their jabs, and I've been busy, which has been lovely, more than I can ask for. Mm. <laughs> I guess with your area of London, there's going to be some good green spaces around, so you're going to suddenly see more that is, than usual, yeah. not in suits. And <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. Life a bit more. Well, yeah, that, that's it. It's, it's been really nice for that, for our little kind of daily walks and that kind of thing. It's been good, kind of like meeting one parent, <laughs> popping around the park and walking about with a podcast on kind of wondering what I'm going to do with the rest of my day. <laughs> That's been normal life really. <laughs> yeah, man. So I've written down here an attempt to introduce you, but I've struggled with it. To be honest. It's just like, where does the story That's start with a, a very silly parody of TikTok by Kesha is where it mostly starts. Right? <laughs> exactly. That's correct. Because the kind of music wasn't really happening for you until you put up a joke version of that song right yeah yeah that's right I mean I was um I grew up in a musical household and it was always very much on the agenda that I'd do music one day not not like on my parents agenda but I guess on mine I was just a big fan of it and um Mm. you know grew up listening to like Blink 182 and Alkaline Trio and Green Day and basically all of the big three pieces that were in Kerrang at that time and Mm. um and yeah, I try, I, you know, I was trying every genre under the sun, collaborating with talented people at school and college and stuff. And then, yeah, really ha- had a couple of touches of success, like with kind of like entering competitions and doing quite well, but nothing really like kicking off officially. And then, yeah, just uploading a parody with two, two of my best mates and the Midnight Beast was born. And kind of like, I guess, like twelve years later, here I am. It's mental. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and obviously, when that parody took off, you then did some more parodies and started doing originals, and then, and then the Midnight Beast kind of became your job, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we we uploaded it under basically. I, I used to just collect band names because I knew that I would listen to a project and I'd be like, "Oh my god, I need to make another band." Um, 
And I was just obsessed with starting bands and making the logos and all of the beginning stuff. Um, and Midnight Be- Midnight Beast was just like a name that I had on written on my wardrobe at home, at my parents' house. And when I'd been messing about with the Kesha parody, uh, Ash and Drew happened to be around. Drew threw down a middle eight um, about his dad going off to get him a Twix. And Ash, <laughs> Ash lent some amazing dance r- routines. And we uploaded it under the Midnight Beast because I thought, why not? And then people just assumed it was a band. And I think it probably took us about a year to admit that it was a band. Well, probably to admit to ourselves because me and Drew were trying to be proper musicians and stuff. And we were like, what's this? (laughs) And Ash was acting. Ash was like, I don't want to be in a band. So, you know, we we found it mad and it became a band on its own. (laughs) But I remember the first time we met, I think you were saying you're actually starting to look at getting a a normal career just because you'd had such a frustrating time with music. Maybe that was true for Drew as well. I think you said, is that, (laughs) is this true before the, the video took off? Before? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's true. I mean, so we, we were, we were both, you know, it, it was the classic, like, even though my parents both played music, they've always had jobs on the side of it. Cause music, as everyone knows, it's the cliche musicians don't make any money kind of thing. Mm. Um, 99% of them at least. And so, you know, my parents were going, you know, how are you going to pay rent? Like, you know, probably get something, even if it's on the side. And, and I did, you know, I, I, I worked at Urban Outfitters for a bit. Um, I was very flaky with jobs, whereas Drew was a very hard worker. He had a regular, regular job at home base and Ash had a Zara and then Costa Coffee. But um, I think the time that we all got to leave the, the jobs we were doing on the side was, was such an amazing experience because like obviously music or at least creativity was something the three of us were all so passionate about, but never really thought we'd be able to do full time i think yeah absolutely yeah you mentioned you were making your own band logos and then obviously that video and song was 100 percent homemade of course that kind of really set the tone for what you've been doing in all the years since just doing everything yourself yeah it's really fitted the kind of youtube era i think so yeah it's funny that, that there was so much good stuff on youtube back then and Everyone was an incredible, well, now still, but everyone was so good at making stuff visually look incredible and, and no, not throwing any shade on any other YouTubers, but I used to find a lot of the time the visuals would look amazing, but the songs sounded quite homemade almost. And, Mm. um, and I think we almost flipped it on its head where videos were not our strong suit, but music was what, what at least me and Drew were doing. And Ash was one of the biggest music fans I knew. And obviously like was, well, it, maybe you don't know, but like was kind of singing before that and stuff. And, and I think, so I think we were really inspired by like Lonely Island to kind of let's really take this to the next level and make something that sounds hopefully better than it looks kind of thing um and and yeah i i love making videos i mean i always loved kind of directing little home movies me and drew used to film sketches on the road and stuff so i guess it was just an evolution of that really yeah yeah Uh, and so long story short you ended up three albums down and um had a channel four series of course and it exactly just went insanely well i mean yeah it was insane yeah it was 
it, we, we, we met, you know, well, a lot of the right people got in touch with us, you know, saying it'd be cool for you to do some sort of, have you ever thought of doing a TV show? And we were like, yeah, in our dreams kind of thing, you know? And, <laughs> and then, and then suddenly, yeah, we had, we had a, a, a show on E4 and, and yeah, three albums, uh, three or four amazing tours, hosted a tent in tea in the park or so, you know, all, all of these kind of like bucket list goals that I guess like when you're younger as well, I, I feel like you always see these bands and you think, Oh my God. And then they get into their tour bus and then they ride to their mansion and then they're, you know, they're riding around in private jets and little did we know that actually behind the scenes is pretty normal. <laughs> you know, It's none of that glam. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Um, so for Midnight Beast fans listening, so as we were saying before, it's just kind of on pause at the moment, just for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we have been, yeah, we, Midnight Beast was born out of spontaneity of just hanging out, and we've all been getting creative, which is awesome, but Midnight Beast just hasn't uh, flourished over the pandemic because I think the three of us have just thought, you know, we've never had to push it before so it's going to come around on its own so let's just let it happen organically you know the three of us haven't been in a room together for probably like a year so or or a year and a half so you know it that was not how the midnight beast was born so you know exactly it was just born from well we're not doing anything else today so should we yourself at what point in your life yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, I started learning piano when I was really young and, and I just wouldn't practice because I wasn't really, like, I wasn't thriving on, like, learning an instrument and I didn't know what was yeah. what was pushing me. Well, m- certainly my parents were saying, my dad always thought, get into piano because piano unlocks everything. And he was totally right. But, um, you know, through that, learnt guitar. And then I realised that I, I think... I think songwriting was the thing that was kind of cooling me. And um, I started mucking about with, with kind of, you know, power chords, kind of like, like inspired by like Blink-182 and everything I was listening to back then and mm. crafting it. And my dad had an early version of Cubase on his computer. So he used to help me put together these like mad ideas with like helicopter sound effects and stuff. <laughs> and and then um, I was just trying to be like Limp Bizkit or something like that. And then, and then suddenly... I I went to school, I went to a theatre school and then I joined the Brit school and they taught music production and um, they taught Pro Tools, kind of the engineering side of like learning microphones and stuff like that, which I wish I would have listened to more. But similarly to the piano, I just had this like gut instinct to just want to create stuff myself and and logic really kind of called to me, logic and reason at the time. Um, And... I just started, I started running at it and, um, and producing like with MIDI and things like that. And just get, I think what's always really drawn me into songwriting and production is like finishing stuff, you know, Mm. and like, you know, uh, working on something and being like, you know, it's something, it's kind of crazy. Like I have existential crisis all the time about it where you kind of, you'll start something in the morning and you'll finish it in the day and you can't even hold it. You're like, what is this thing? It's like a file on my computer and I've been putting all these hours in. It's just this random little thing on my desktop. How weird is that? (laughs) 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 But um, music's mental like that. And then then you can, I think the joy of being in the Midnight Beast and having that knowledge was just like, we can do all of this in a day, you know, including the video, upload it 
and people see it. And what is a better kind of thrill than that, really, you know? Well, you can do it in a day. I don't know if everyone mm-hmm. is able to bang out a track. And a well, I'm not, I'm not saying it'll be amazing. Maybe the, the ones done in a day probably weren't very good, but, you know. <laughs> well, no, I mean, even from watching your pandemic stuff, that seems to be your knack. It's just to get a beat out. So, like, a really good beat in such a crazy short amount of time. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, um, I think, I I mean, and that is part of, like, the the pop, machine with like kind of songwriting for other people and stuff you know you're mm. but i i i always thought about this with like there's something called the who's looking list which is like songwriters and artists that are looking for material and you know you'll you, you'll see the ones that you would imagine seeing on there the ones that you would think are oh, i'm sure they don't write their own stuff or, or whatever which is becoming less and less common by the way i think everyone wants to kind of dip into songwriting these days but then you know artists like bruno mars will come up there and you'll think bruno mars is an incredible writer but obviously the reason is you know there's only so many hours in the day and you've got to come up with stuff so fast these days and i think i think that that has been something especially with like the stuff i've been doing over the pandemic of like beat making and and stuff like that and you've got to be fast, you know, sometimes and, and, and creativity, it it can be different, difficult, but it's almost just like, get it all out, throw it all on the canvas and then we'll clean it up later or or someone else will (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. Wow. I need to get hold of that list. That sounds, sounds Mm. it's very interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I totally forgot you went to the Brit school. Who were you rubbing shoulders with? Yeah. Um, well, so in my year, um, there was like Katie B and then there was, um, no yeah. And then, and then the year above me was Adele, which was crazy. I mean, w- me and my friend were saying the other day, like for like seven, for a 17 year old version of me seeing like, Oh look, that girl from the year above me has gone off and made it like there's making it. And then there's Adele, you know, like Adele is like, probably if, if you were like, who's going to be remembered forever from our generation of, of like, artists Adele would be probably the number one name that you'd say and I think that was such a weird feeling like kind of seeing seeing her just I remember like the first performance she did on on an acoustic guitar where it was like she taught herself a few chords and then Mm. and then you'd see it and you'd be like I mean that's amazing it wasn't even one of those like oh, she might do really well. It was like, well, she's obviously going to do really well, but I don't think anyone could imagine she would, would become Adele that we know today, that every single person in the world knows kind of thing. Um, That's crazy. Did so you that, get to chat much or was she year above so you didn't get to interact she, too much? Well, the, the most interaction I had, uh, I mean, we, we did talk, you know, everyone would hang out, everyone would kind of smoke their cigarettes around the back or whatever. <laughs> and, and um, But yeah, we, we all used to chat a lot because we were all very close because it wasn't a, m- a massive college it was big but not huge so you'd kind of know everyone and she played in bands with friends and stuff and anyway um all my mates got invited to her 18th birthday party but I didn't and I was absolutely gutted and <laughs> and uh I asked my friend to ask for me and he did and then I got invited so 
<laughs> that was my biggest interaction with her. But I, I did actually find it, it was a few years ago before MySpace wiped everything. But she commented on a on a picture of me on my MySpace, and when uh-huh. MySpace wiped it, I was like, "No way!" Like it's actually Adele's MySpace like account commenting on a picture uh-huh. like that. So was the comment, "Why did you gate crash my team?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, the police have been informed exactly. <laughs> but um, that's insane. But yeah, so that was mad. And then, and then full of, I mean, the school was also full of incredible lighting engineers, sound engineers, um, you know, session drummers, bass players, guitarists. Like if I wanted to form three bands tomorrow, I'd know, I'd know who yeah. to call, you know, and, and, and I still would now. And, and, and that was the incredible thing about it. I mean, there's been some other artists like Paul Thomas Saunders, um, Alan, um, some incredible, uh, like independent uh, and alternative artists that came out, not just from my year. You know, Rizzle Kicks were two years below me. Jesse J had just mm. left when I joined. It, it was mental. How about KTB? That's someone I could imagine you clapping with. Yeah, KTB was was a close friend. Like, I mean, we we haven't stayed in touch just because you know what it's like when you lose touch yeah, with yeah. mates from college and stuff it just happens but yeah she she was incredible i mean she you know she was in all of my classes and um so we we would you know we'd often get thrown together and be performing i remember performing like an outcast medley with me and katie singing and then we all had to redo the sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band album together and so you know these little mad projects where you look back and you go oh there's me playing bass for a uh, katie b singing a, a sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band or or whatever it would be it's just a bizarre place (laughs) did you learn production yeah yeah so so we had we had uh we had engineering classes where we'd learn about mics and and pro tools and and things like that and then and then we had midi sequencing which was like logic and uh reason and that was incredible i mean uh, it just encouraged all of us to go home and get hold of the music production however we could um and then uh and then just like hone in on it and the thing that i think was incredible about brit is they gave you loads of free time so you know on thursdays you didn't even need to be in but you if you wanted to you could you know go and get high in the park or go and hang out with each other or whatever you wanted to do but a lot of people formed bands and then would you know book the studios and and just mess about together and and that was absolutely amazing. I think having the free time, you know, or you could go upstairs and use a computer. It, Brit was totally free, by the way. To, uh, you know, it you didn't have to pay to go there. You just had to audition. And then, so you could go upstairs and use their suite of Macs and make a beat, you know, which I do a lot. And I think just having access to those things really made it feel achievable, you know? Yeah, just because obviously so many people are, self-taught on music production yeah these days but was that really great to actually get a proper education yeah it really was i mean it it is funny i think i think there's so much winging it anyway even when when you're taught i mean i text my friends yesterday just saying how do i learn about like microphones and where to point them and stuff because i think everyone's got a few holes in their knowledge i think everyone would admit to not knowing everything you know and I think I, mine is definitely in the hardware side. I, I could sit down with a computer and, and make a song that sounds like a song, but 
if I wanted to like record an acoustic guitar the right way, probably wouldn't know how to, you know? And I think, I think it's about embracing those flaws sometimes. And I, I think it's really exciting. You know, sometimes I'll look back to when I was 17 making music under my bunk bed and be like, that was some of my favorite music I ever made. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. I look back now and I'll go, what was I trying to do there? But I don't know. I didn't do what I wanted, but I like it. I like where it's gone kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I've had friends who've done like a whole degree in music production and they'll just say, I'll oh, just watch YouTube videos. That's the best way. Mm-hmm. Best way to learn. I agree with that. I mean, e- e- even if you do a whole degree in it, I feel like you'll still end up coming back to those videos. You know, I mean, it, it's, and, and like I said, you know, embracing mistakes. I think that's why we love like, artists like Bonnevere and stuff, you know, they, it's, mm. it's, it's very in right now to, to leave your, to, to bear your soul. And, and I think your soul messes up and, and makes mistakes. And I think that's a really exciting mm-hmm. thing about modern music at the moment is there's a lot of these little crispy voice notes or little accidental laughs and someone's just gone, leave that in, you know, and I really like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so as you mentioned, Adele in the year above went on to become one of the most successful and wealthiest musicians in the world. Yeah. Um, but with someone like Brit School, I kind of assume everyone like graduates and then it's all unicorns and rainbows because cool. you've made such amazing contacts and everything that, but obviously you got, you struggled. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really and, and uh, you know, and I did in my year, I'd, I, I, I did one of the best at the beginning with like kind of, you know, getting a management deal and, you know, it all, it all looked like it was popping off, you know, to, to, to my peers, but you know, life doesn't work like that. It's even, it's like when you leave school and, and you think, all oh, right, well, I'll just go and get a job now. And you know, it's hard to get a job anywhere, you know, let alone somewhere good. And it's the same with becoming a full-time musician. You know, there's so many variables, you know, Brit was amazing because most people that come out of Brit, will have a and r's at their gigs kind of going oh you know what what are they up to they 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 must be a certain caliber or whatever and even though we were taught it we you know we all had totally different interests and totally different speeds that we were moving at and um you know Mm. i i i entered a load of competitions which got my first band the click click um to supporting hadouken and, and supporting alphabet on tour um and, you know, we got very close to getting a major label record deal, which back then was like the goal of everyone. You know, it felt like to make it, you've got to get a major deal. And nowadays, I think times have really, really changed. And because we didn't get it, we kind of like disbanded and fell apart and got a bit directionless and everyone wanted to do their own thing. So I think, mm. I think it was actually, that was a good lesson in life. It was a good lesson in, you know, I guess like not to get too kind of like spiritual, but like what is making it, you know what I mean? For like musicians mm. and stuff. It's like back then I thought it was getting a record record deal. And then I tried again. And, and again, I thought it was a record deal. Oh no labels want to sign me. And then midnight beast, we just pretty much just followed our gut and just did something that was basically kind of flowing out of us without really thinking about it. And it connected with people and then when the record labels came, we kind of went, you know what? It's already happening for us. And we've done it without you guys. And no disrespect, like I'm sure you would help a lot of people, but right now it's just not what we need, you know? 
Yeah, I guess it's kind of a sort of crystal ball kind of question, but if you had got that major deal, can, how do you think your life would have panned out? You yeah. could have been like screwed over or who knows what Absolutely. Could have I mean, I, I, I know a lot of artists who get the deal and they'll go off and they'll write with people like me, um, you know, and, and they'll literally write 90, 100 songs that never see the light of day because – it's really tough. Music is a business, you know, uh, whether you like it or not. And record labels are giving you a big chunk of money uh, to invest in your project. And if it doesn't work out, then it just doesn't make sense for them to carry on with you. And that doesn't mean that they're bad at all. I think I think that they're really worthwhile. You know, if you want to get to a certain caliber, I think you need to join forces. But at the same time, yeah, if 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 I'd have got signed back then, it could have gone a totally different way. If Midnight Beast would have signed a major record deal, that could have as well. I I certainly I think we probably would have got bigger quicker, but we may have faded away quicker as well. You know, I often think about that. No, I can really <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, it's funny, and you know, because th- there's only so much you can do with the resources you're given. I mean. I Midnight Beast were offered to play Coachella out in um, California and mm. to get there um, because Coachella happens one weekend and then you have a break in LA and then it happens the other weekend. And for us to go out there with minimal crew uh, enough to basically do our show because we wanted to do the best show we could and stay out in LA for a week, it was going to cost us 10,000 pounds. And it was just that thing where it was like, if you had a label, no drama of course of course you'd do it you know because it it makes sense as a business but for us at the time it was like well that's that's a lot of hoodies that we gotta sell if we want to get out to Coachella and and you you just have to make sacrifices in other areas and there were a few situations like that where like we could have gone and supported like busted on tour, but we would have had to pay and, you know, things like that where where you're kind of put in a position where artists that are signed would go, well, it makes sense. But I think when you're independent, you just, you've got to think about it. And I don't think that's always a bad thing. It's, it's such a good life lesson for up and coming musicians, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I guess the big talking point at the moment, especially with Taylor Swift is just the whole, not owning your music that you've yeah. written. Yeah, totally. I guess as a songwriter, that that surely that wouldn't sit right with you if you write these songs, but then you technically don't <laughs> don't own them, right? Yeah, it's really tough though because I think you know I have a lot of songs that I love that are just sitting on hard drives, and you know, mm-hmm. ob- obviously the flip side is like if that label or publishing company or whoever owns your songs, but but because of that they see 99% more people then it's probably worth it. You know, it's, you see it a lot where artists get to it. I mean, Taylor Swift is quite young to realize it. Uh, but you know, you see it with so many artists they, they'll get to a certain point in their life and they'll go, I need to own those songs because I'm not making the money. But I think, I think these days it's kind of songs. I think songs have slightly lost their currency in the sense that like, I think these days it's a bit more about volume that that, that you're releasing songs. You know, it's like the 1975, uh, uh, hands down a a brilliant band, but like, you know, they've got to put out two albums a year now 
because because there's so much music out there you've got so much more you've got to compete with and of course with the kind of like way that we engage with with content these days with like tiktok and short form media you've kind of got to impress people quickly you know and then it's gone quicker so i think going back to that that question about it, owning songs i think maybe they're not as valuable anymore maybe it's about trying to own as much of your career as possible and and songs aren't the only aspect of that in a weird way mm. speaking of taylor swift i had a cheeky listen to your par- taylor swift parody and Amazing. i just love that so much oh just thanks the- mate yeah it was it, it was really fun actually i mean i think a lot of we had some lovely feedback about that one because we, we basically took that that era of midnight beast we were kind of like bootlegging stuff and we were basically taking the real tracks and mashing them up and then just giving them away for free it was a little uh three song project uh with the harlem shake uh anaconda mm-hmm. and then a bunch of taylor swift songs and we called it murder by the beast and yeah. and um basically uh the, the taylor swift one was really nice we, we got a lot of comments from her fans saying thanks for not like digging into her and actually showing her a bit of love. And, um, Mm. and I think, you know, that kind of summed up where a lot of the midnight beast came from. Like it was never from like a malicious place of like, we hate this song and we're punk and we're going to like do it. We're going to like rip it to shreds. And it was actually coming from a place of like, we're all creative. We all love this music, but there's just something that we can poke fun and, and, and mess about with here. So let's kind of like get cheeky on it and and see what happens. And that was certainly one of them. So thanks, man. I love that one too. Thought you were different from the other ones. Turns out you're just like all the rest. At least you had the decency to let me know that you've been using your cheat codes. Flashback to the day that I met ya. Knew that you were skipping levels and I let ya. Knew that we were skipping out on the good stuff You were in turbo, but what was the rush? Disconnected my controller Had a Commodore chip on your shoulder You were never satisfied Till you gained an extra life Wish we could restart the game When I said hi and we swapped usernames Two avatars stuck in connection Picture perfect, pixel perfection End credits, game over No more quarters, back at the sofa Taking out the trash, taking out the garbage Played me like a Game Boy well, I guess if anyone listening doesn't know Midnight Beast, I guess that's a great entry point just because for me, it's totally tongue in cheek, but it also has this incredible chorus that you've written that Thanks. I have to repeat, do repeat listens just for that chorus. Cause it's <laughs> so, and of course, the production. Oh, mate. Thank you. Yeah, I think, and I think that that's the thing, like a lot of comedy, you know, you'll you'll pack as many jokes in as you can, but I've always been a fan of like, especially with musical comedy, like if you've got a banging chorus, you know, you might be playing this at Reading Festival one day, like let's make sure that everyone knows the words and it repeats, you know? And so, so always that used to always be our beeline. It used to be what makes the three of us laugh. Let's write a song about that. And then the second thing would be what's the catchiest chorus we can think of. And then you smash the two together and hopefully that's the recipe for a Midnight Beast song, I hope. Um, And then Drew and I would just, you know, do all nighters kind of getting the production as good as we possibly could. Because I think, Mm. and I, I, I honestly think musical comedy is funnier 
when it's produced to the kind of degree where you go, I can't believe somebody's paid that much attention to details for a song about sausage rolls or something like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Was like a comedy movie? If you go and see a comedy film, you, you still expect it to be, you know, High of a certain quality, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. They, 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 they shouldn't be scrimping and saving on the cameras they're using just because it's funny. And, and, and that was a huge thing that we wanted to try and do with uh, E4 and, and the show that we did was like at the time, you know, a lot of British comedy looked quite rough around the edges and that's fine because they were putting all the money on the scripts, but we wanted us to have that like American sheen and, and to look pretty and, and to look kind of like inviting, you know, um, because music videos are, and, and th- th- there's a really nice synergy between something that's kind of like mundane and, and silly, but it still looks kind of like, like it's coming from another planet or something. And I think that's what so much like HBO shows on, on American TV do so well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I'm remembering now. I, I was watching the Disney plus documentary about her folklore album um, which is all like her sat by the fireplace with the guy from the national um, talking about how they made the songs and then i whacked on your celebrity <laughs> boyfriend parody song, which that's is- amazing oh, i love it i haven't i haven't seen that documentary yet do you recommend it yeah you know, it's really it's really relaxing to watch that's, i really like that oh i'm excited it's to see that. Effectiveness, um, that's brilliant yeah, yeah. I don't know if you have disney plus but um yes i do i do i've right. been absolutely loving wandavision so i'm i'm all over oh, it need to catch up on that yeah um so yeah man we have to talk about what's been going on in the actually before i was really interested to ask yeah what's quite cool is there seems to be a lot of people who grew up really into rock yep and these days they're making a lot of pop music which is a really common thing right how did that happen for you yeah is it just um the technology's become so accessible for everyone that it's really i think so yeah, I, I I really think so. I mean, I, I you know my my entry point, like I said, was obviously like pop punk, and then and then really the band that changed everything for me was Glassjaw from Long Island, the post hardcore band, and like, and yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I've been writing quite a lot of music, collaborating with um, Jamie Lenman, who fronted a band called Ruben that I right. loved, and now has a brilliant solo project called Jamie Lenman. And, um, and yeah, I, I think that's it. I think, I think, well, well also that there's the thing of like rock music in its best form, in my opinion, kind of is pop music with, you know, distorted guitars or, or heavier drums or screaming instead of singing or, or whatever, but structurally it shares a lot of similarities. And I think it's that weird thing where a lot of people think that pop is a genre when really pop just means popular. So it's that thing of like, if you're hearing it on radio one, it's pop music, you know? And, and I think bring me the horizon are certainly showing, especially with Jordan Fish's um, arrival into the band. They're Mm. showing that you can write pop songs and you can dress them up however you want. You can have collabs, you can have rappers, you can have, you know whatever it is or you can have like breakdowns and and go doom and and stuff like that and i but you can make it all on your computer and i think that's the exciting thing about it you know that there's this ownership that songwriters and musicians are getting where they don't have to fork out 20 grand or back in the day 100 grand to go 
and record an album in like this like pro studio you know that used to be the you know all the documentaries rockumentaries we used to watch back in the day of like Blink 182 in this like crazy studio in California and you'd only dream of doing it and now that reality of those bands is literally you know a zoom session writing songs over the internet really yeah 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 and he, he, even i guess without a pandemic it's still probably one of the ba- you know the bass players learned how to use logic and they're throwing down these these demos that eventually probably form 75% of the album kind of thing yeah i know it's just i feel like i don't know in say the 90s yeah. you could only be a pop band if you had a huge machine behind you like say yeah the spice girls or whatever but now everyone can just download logic or whatever and start making so true right is that why sort of uh, and i guess just electronic music as well i guess that might be the reason why yeah people are doing it and and i guess that's easier now than buying guitars and amps and everything and it is and i mean you know yeah well and there was certainly an era where people were doing exactly that but then they couldn't record the drummer because that you know obviously it's one thing producing music under your bunk bed at your parents house but then if you want to record a drummer, that's just like another level, you know, whereas, yeah. whereas I think these days you can just grab samples from, uh, th- there's so many crazy, you know, Spitfire audio who we've obviously chatted about before, you know, mm. that they, they have so many crazy resources for kind of like just grabbing an incredible sounding drum kit and throwing it in your song, you know? Mm. And I think, no, yeah, it's really interesting. So, in terms of the last kind of year for you, I mean, so the other part I watched a video where you and your wife created a song in about 10 minutes about garlic bread. Would that kind of sum up what you've been doing for the last year? <laughs> yeah, pretty much just that. Love songs about garlic bread. Yeah, I've just been, I've been really, me and my manager were chatting and, and about Twitch, and he was saying a lot of producers are on it. You should check it out. And I'd always considered Twitch a place for video games. And I went on and I found Kenny Beats and Mike Shinoda and some incredible other producers that were creating songs from scratch in front of people. And I thought, that's just what I do every day. Like, I guess I could give this a pop. And I tried it. And like most people, my computer nearly burst into flames. And I thought, okay, right, you need a crazy computer to do this. So so the first lockdown, I ordered all the parts. And for quite cheap, I built a PC uh, from scratch. And it would literally, I'm not exaggerating, it was just like building Lego. It was so fun. Um, and I built this PC and with the view that I wanted to start live streaming on it. And then I, I tried to make the simplest way to live stream every Thursday. And so, so I think I've probably done a nearly 50 in a row every single Thursday since I started. And, um, at 6 PM UK time on twitch.tv forward slash Stefan with a pound, there's the plug. Um, (laughs) I, I've been creating songs from scratch, uh, with a live audience watching, and it started off just like it started off like very like gimmicky like can i order a pizza and make a beat with the order between me and the pizza guy before the pizza arrives or can me and my wife write a song about garlic bread while she's cooking it things like that uh, um, uh, 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 
Thanks for calling Domino's. How can I help? Is a sample of Jake's mum's washing machine, and so I'd take the washing machine and, and try and turn it into this like kind of like little symphony, and um and just these mad challenges of like totally blown out of proportion. And now it feels like every Thursday we've got this little clubhouse of music creatives kind of hanging out and seeing what I'm going to do next, and it's been so nice. Amazing, yeah, I. Yeah, well, congrats on building the PC, although we had about five minutes where we couldn't get your audio for the podcast. So <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I was on a Zoom with someone from Twitch. Oh, yeah. Like, start of the pandemic, and the lady was saying how Twitch was going to be massive. Ooh. A lot of musicians. I didn't know Mike Shinoda was on there. Yeah, that's, crazy. That, that's brilliant, man. You should check that out. I mean, he, he does everything between producing incredible songs on there to playing Among Us. It's great. It's funny, he's kind of known as the rapper from Linkin Park, but I remember he did some original music for, um, what was that like? Was it like a Korean action? Yeah, dude, I was just about to bring that up. The Indonesian film, The Raid. Indonesian, I I didn't say Korean. No, no, don't worry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, oh my God, The Raid is so good. Have you seen it ever? Oh man, someone lent it to me on DVD and I just never got got around to it. Oh dude, check it out, The Raid the raid two and Um, yeah it's incredible it's so so good and yeah i think i'm pretty sure it was a welsh director um an indonesian cast and and writing team um and the one of the stunt coordinators went it's one of the stunt coordinators went on to do the star wars movies the the most recent ones um Right. And then, yeah, Mike Shinoda did the soundtrack, and it's so good. And uh, he, he did it in collaboration with another composer. Um, but, yeah, Mike Shinoda is such a G. He, he's, I think that's the thing with Twitch. It's such positive vibes. And, I mean, for anyone that doesn't know, at the end of a Twitch stream, it's quite common to do a thing called raiding. And when you raid, you'll basically find another Twitch streamer. For me, I'll, I'll try and find somebody else that, that's producing – that's had like, that's got like similar numbers to me. And then all of us will go and join and jump in their chat and kind of support them. And so the, the, uh, th- this other streamer will suddenly get like 30, 50, 80 people just jumping in their stream and kind of being like, Hey, love what you're doing. And it's, and it's happened to me before and it's such a nice feeling. So it's really nice to like spread the love and Mike Shinoda's very like positive vibes on it as well. So yeah, it, it's a wicked place to hang out. So raiding on Twitch isn't related to the raid. You don't have to like <laughs> No, <it>. totally <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah, it's not as bloody as the raid, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, that song with Chino from Deftones for that film, didn't he? Which is what's that? And he, he did a song for the raid with, um, was it Chino from Deftones? Oh, yeah. I, I actually forgot about that. Such a dude, yeah. yeah I'm going to whack that on straight after this. But. It's incredible, yeah. So, 
Yeah, so Twitch, has that been like one of your main things? Yeah, yeah. So it's just been kind of supplementing what you do anyway, it sounds like. Yeah, it has. I mean, so my average week these days for like the last year has been Monday to Friday. I'm writing around the world, but sitting in my pajamas. So, you know, uh, I'll, I'll write with a singer from Montana or I'll write with an artist from Malaysia or or a lot of the time other artists from the UK or London or someone from down the road, but we won't be in the same room. Uh, you know, I've, I've got my computer set up now so that it's really easy for me to kind of like hear them. They can hear me. I can get a track going. They can send me vocals, you know, we'll pop off for lunch. We'll pop, chuck our masks on and I'll, I'll go down and get my sushi from down the road. They'll, they'll cut some vocals and guitars. I, I recently, have been collaborating with um, Lauren Hibbard, incredible artist uh, who lives in the Isle of Wight. Um, and she she and her guitarist will track a load of guitars and vocals and then I'll get back from getting my sushi and they'll have sent them over and then I'll pop them in the track and literally, you know, start at midday and by 5pm we're sending our management a finished song. And it's, it's so much fun. And then, and then, on top of that zoom writing, keeping on coming back to this every Thursday, uh, Twitch stream where I'm just gradually bit by bit building a community that is kind of like-minded and, and like seeing, I guess, like behind the curtain in my uh, creative process, really. No, that's awesome. So your working hours must be insane at the moment if you're doing kind of international. Yeah. Well, they, they've been all right. Actually. I, I've been collaborating a lot with an incredible artist called Maris. Um, She's signed to her best friend's management, uh, which is Billie Eilish and Phineas's, um, their management team. And, um, and me and Maris, you know, Maris is based out in Montana. So we'll normally hop on zoom at like 6 PM, which is early for her, but then we'll probably finish it about, Oh no, wait, no, I think, yeah, we normally hop on about 4 PM my time. Mm. And then we'll finish about 9 p.m. And most of the time the song's done, you know, so the hours haven't been crazy. A lot of the L.A. sessions, because this is the good thing. If even if you're working with someone from L.A., you could you could hop on at 7 p.m. And most of the time, if you put your heads down, you'll have something in a few hours, really, because it's all very with Zoom. As long as you get over the technical side of it, it's quite easy and quite quite gut instinct and if it doesn't work you just go all right well it's been nice chatting to you see you later <laughs> you know so yeah. there's that as well and it's being cool with sometimes sessions don't work sometimes someone might be going through some shit which obviously we all are during this pandemic and so it's just being kind of like good to yourself and and knowing when to push it and when not to really which has been really nice um but I've loved the regularity of it. it kind of it feels like a normal job I just maybe maybe need to get get a bit better at brushing my teeth before my sessions well no one knows right no one knows this is the good thing and you know if somebody's too close if somebody can smell your breath they're way too close you know exactly <laughs> yeah they're not they're not two meters away so that's that's on them exactly <laughs> um can you like talk us through your this whole journey of writing with other people because yeah. i'm just trying to scratch my brain because obviously Back in the early days of the Midnight Beast, you had that amazing cameo of Selena Gomez in the dance routine. Yeah, you do one of my favourite uh, tracks. <laughs> Thanks, man. Guys, um, yeah. So obviously, the Midnight Beast actually left to you doing this. Yes. 
Is that right? And Selena Gomez probably been the most ridiculously famous person you've done it with, I presume. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, so before just before the Midnight Beast started, I was starting to look at writing for other artists, and I was I was doing writing sessions for pitch, which basically means you'll go in a room with two people or three people or one person and you'll go, Hey, Kylie Minogue's looking for a song. Let's try and write something. Let's put ourselves in the mind of Kylie Minogue. And then you'll put, <laughs> you'll put together a song, send it. Most of the time won't hear back. And sometimes if you're lucky, you'll get a cut, which means that Kylie will end up putting out that song with you songwriting and or producing. And, um, I got really into the world of like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I'd love to do that. And Mm. on the side of the Midnight Beast, I built it as much as I could, but Midnight Beast was pretty all encompassing. Um, And then Selena Gomez's team reached out and said she was a fan of TMB and wanted to collaborate. And I asked if she needed a producer for her next album. And her mum, who was managing her at the time, said that she had a song that she'd written and she'd love to get my steer on it. So they sent over the stems for the song, you know, the drums, the bass, the vocals, all of that. And yeah. I, um, I had a pop at it and they ended up wanting to put it out. So they, they flew me out to LA, which was crazy. I'd never been before. And then I collaborated with Selena in the studio and cut her vocals and then, you know, a few months later, the song was out on Hollywood Records, owned by Disney. And I couldn't believe it. And suddenly everything that I'd been working towards, I mean, that really was a massive dream, was like, how could I have a career writing for other people? And suddenly I'd done it. And and I think because of the Selena connection, it meant that other artists had a certain trust in me, whether they knew Midnight Beast or not they expected a certain kind of uh professionalism to like songwriting sessions i guess um little did they know uh i'm stefan with a pound and i'm not very professional at all <laughs> but um but no uh it, and then and then after that we just started um me and my manager uh who works for a company called friends versus music we just started approaching loads of cool artists and now there's so many great writing sessions coming up that I'm so excited about. No, amazing. I mean, listen, I love the Midnight Beast, but I'm just trying to get my head around what was Selena just having a boring day where she was <laughs> scrolling through YouTube, or how did she I come know, across? I mental. So apparently she needed to pick a playlist of stuff or a competition of like what she's been listening to. And I think she was she was going through stuff on the internet and stumbled across the Midnight Beast, who probably back then the YouTube algorithm was very different. And if a lot of people were watching some, what's that? Sorry. Like she winged it. Like we need a playlist. Selena. She's like, "Uh, okay, let me do that. Yeah, exactly. And she just went on and went, that'll do. But, um, you know, and I think, you know, she was probably, she was still on the Disney channel at the time. So she didn't, she Mm. probably, I don't think we even ended up in that playlist because she, because she couldn't kind of post it for content reasons but mm. she discovered it and got obsessed with just another boy band um, and, oh, cool. and just thought it was so funny. And then because of being a fan of it, it really, it, it, it just encouraged her 
her to want to get involved. And suddenly I was in the studio with her throwing a red hoodie on saying, would you be in our video, the dance routine? And she was like, yeah, all right. Um, which is incredible. And it still happens all the time now. You know, I've been working with an incredible artist called Zand and, uh, their music is so good. Um, and we were on a zoom and, and they were saying, I can't believe I'm writing with Stefan from the midnight beast. And I was like, what do you mean? You're one of my favorite artists. I can't believe that that means anything to you. That's so cool. And, uh, yeah, so it's opened a lot of doors for me as a writer for sure. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, did you, you spent an evening with Mr. Bieber, didn't you as well? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I was taking, um, Selena to go and watch, um, Bo Burnham who's one of my favorite musical comedians. And mm. um, we, I was on the way to meet her at the venue. And then she said, would you mind if my boyfriend came along? Could you let security know? So I had to go up to them and be like, yeah, uh, Justin Bieber's going to be coming with us too. And, um, and then, yeah, I met the two of them outside and took him in and showed him Bo Burnham, which was crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but li- little did I know that Bo Burnham had a song called Repeat Stuff, which like slagged off pop stars and he actually started talking about Bieber. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, what the hell? And um, But luckily it was cool. And Bieber was a G about it. And then he ended up driving me home, which was incredible. It was such a surreal experience to get back to the hotel and be like, all of my mates are in bed. And now I just need to go to bed and be like, what just happened? Yeah, no, amazing. I mean, I was going to say, like, with that thing with the the pitch room you mentioned, yeah, it's the problem. Prior to all this, was you would have just been another guy trying to make it exactly that, in that world with, without much of a CV. But then suddenly, the Midnight Beast takes off, and then that changes everything, right? So that must have been a massive help for the songwriting. That's exactly it. I think you know, I I was lucky that the stars aligned with that. But like, yeah, you, you you're totally right. It's like how do you set yourself apart? And I think, I think that says a lot about other, other artists or songwriters that want to get into it. It's like, you just think that trying to be like everyone else is going to help you break through. And it, it, well, maybe it does sometimes, but certainly didn't work for me as much as I wanted to be like Benny Blanco that was producing for Kesha and, you know, all of these other people. I just in, inherently had to kind of just do my own thing and, and, and it worked out uh, in, in its own weird way, you know? Um, and I think, I think I've, I, that was definitely a huge learning curve for me. Mm. I just had another thought on Twitch. Like, I guess if you had just spent the last year doing the kind of behind the scenes thing with doing songwriting, producing, I guess, yeah, it would have been like a year without comedy for you, which would have been a shame, wouldn't it? But definitely. with Twitch, you like, make a bring me the horizon style song sampling biggie or cat yeah exactly yeah yeah a hundred percent it's been fun you know i've always had a tongue-in-cheek sensibility with music even if i'm trying to write a heartbreaking ballad i'll, I'll want to try and say something a little bit uh funny in there not you know f- funny is sometimes the wrong word T- tongue-in-cheek is exactly it you know my one of my favorite artists is elvis costello and I always loved his cutting lyrics, and but they, there was always a humour to it. And same with the Beastie Boys, I absolutely loved them. They they never got called a comedy band because that would have been doing a disservice to them. But they were so funny. Um, and yeah, I agree. I mean, I I can't help it. 
you know, if I, I'm, it's not me trying to go, oh, Steph's going solo and like he wants to be taken seriously now. That's just not me. I, you know, my sense, my sense of humor has always kind of ran across music, I think. And, and it's been really fun getting back to that on Twitch for sure. You're totally right. Yeah, a hundred percent. I had another thought. Like, I feel like your kind of style, yeah, it's always been kind of lo-fi, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that that's become such a trendy, yeah, sound recently. And I was thinking you really should have made a looped animated video of you <laughs> and Biggie before that other bloody um, lo-fi video on YouTube that's racking up millions of views. What one's that? You not see it? what's it called? Lo-fi music to chill slash study to. Oh, that one! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so right. Yeah, it's it, made that like five years ago. I know, I know. It's so yeah. It is so funny. I mean, it's it kind of goes back to this whole thing of like um, showing music that's rough around the edges. You know, embracing mistakes, and there's just something that feels almost nostalgic about it. I think and. I think it's we're in a place now where digitally you can make stuff that sounds so crisp now, but then it sounds like everything else because the caliber of music production is so high these days that actually how weird is it that we live in a time where the artists that make stuff sound a bit wonky and a bit shit are the ones that people are like, nah, that's, that is my jam. I like that, you know, and, you know, we've all got so used to this like pristine auto tune that now when auto tune is used, it's normally, it's normally over the top to, to deliberately make a point or something. And I think, I think it goes a long way. And, you know, for me, and it was the same with the way that Midnight Beast used cameras as well. It's like, it's not even that we were trying to look cheap. It was literally that it was cheap. So why wouldn't you just embrace what it looks like, you know? And if I'm making music at right now, I make music in my living room. I've got a, a nice little side studio and, um, but I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm not in a pro studio, so I don't, I don't want to try and fake it. You know, it sounds like it does because that's where I'm making the music, you know, and I'm trying to kind of tell the story of like where I'm at in my life right now. And, and it's not, it's not bedroom pop anymore. It's, it's living room pop. <laughs> and one day it might be studio pop, but uh, certainly I think lo-fi is a lifestyle and I definitely love it. That's so mad though. Cause I guess like literally if Rihanna dropped a music video tomorrow, it would probably have that kind of VHS. -y. It's so true, isn't it? How weird. And, and that, that's the weird thing that I find about like commercial stuff doing it is you're like, you guys have got the resources to do the big stuff. Why, why are you trying to steal our thing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, and it's weird. You see it in like Chanel adverts. Now they'll suddenly be like making a beastie boys video. And you're like, what's going on here? So weird. Yeah. I get, it's really interesting. I guess it's almost like this yearning for analog technology, which I guess yeah. I was going to get onto the studio side of things. Yeah. Do you feel like that's what it is with music videos and lo-fi music's kind of trying to emulate more old styles of recording? Yeah. Is that what it is? sort of suddenly nostalgic? Because everything's been so digital for ages, right? Exactly. And people come to a point where it's kind of like I was saying about, you know, we can't, there's people growing up now that have never held their music collection. And I think that's, yeah. that's why suddenly people are like, you know what? I want a vinyl. I want a record player. Or I want a cassette or whatever. Cause they're like, 
you know, otherwise it's just a bunch of X's and O's or, or whatever digital is. I think that's what it is. <laughs> um, or maybe that's just what you sign off a text message with, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's this, it's just code. Whereas at least if you chuck something through a cassette player or something, suddenly you're like, that existed for a second that that was in the real world. And I think that's why uh, a lot of kids are getting into vinyl now. And a lot of artists that I work with now will, t- they'll turn up with a, well, not now, obviously, but when we weren't in the pandemic, they turn up with a video camera because hmm. everyone else is using their iPhone and, and they, they want to kind of go, no, this is my video camera and I film all my content on this, you know? And I, I really, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. All these kids who don't know what it's like to be sat on the tube with a full zipped up wallet of all your albums and then putting mm-hmm. them in your wall. Exactly. How weird is that? Like that, yeah, get going to school trying to walk a certain way so it didn't skip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. No, it's it's funny. And I, I read I mean, obviously like I guess like I mean, certainly my childhood was growing up with CDs and like I read about the Beastie Boys growing up with cassette tapes and um one of them's like everyone's trying to make cassette tapes sound cool i'm telling you right now it wasn't cool growing up with cassette tapes they took fucking ages to like make a mixtape and stuff you'd have to spend a whole day doing it whereas nowadays i feel like if a kid sat down to do that they'd be like this is mental this i'm not doing this (laughs) you know Mm. it sounds a lot cooler than it probably is in real life yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so yeah that's a good place to start i guess your studio's Am I right in saying it's quite a cool mix of digital and analog? Yeah, definitely. I've got, um, I have a lot of like, uh, weird and wonderful instruments that I've, I've been collecting. I, it's all based around my laptop. So the nice thing Mm. about it is I'll plug one cable into my laptop and then it will patch in with everything in my studio, which is banjos or, uh, you know, I've got a sequential profit six. I've got little kids weird, like Casio keyboards and, um, fun stuff, like a little kind of like homemade, like Mellotron by a company called Onde Magnetique. And, um, just like loads of all, all of the teenage engineering stuff, the OP one, um, loads of weird stuff that is just really there to give a personality to my productions. And, I guess like a probability and a chance that sitting down in front of the computer sometimes doesn't do. Um, I still like unplugging my laptop and walking over to the kitchen counter or when I'm allowed getting a coffee and, you know, prep down the road and sitting there and just making music on a computer. But there's something really nice about sitting down and being able to like press buttons and, and feel what you're doing like with your fingers kind of thing. Cause I think so much of life these days is just staring at a screen. Um, and I see it with the artists that come around it. They'll, they'll remember my studio for its personality. Um, and they might come back again cause they'll want to kind of like finish the song that we started with the weird robot noise that came from the strange little looper that was sat underneath my cat when they were there, you know? And, and I think, that's been a really nice thing. Uh, and, and I've been inspired by uh, other producers, you know, every studio that I go in, I'll normally walk home and be like, Oh, I really want a little guitar pedal like that guy had. So I guess my studio has become a hybrid of every studio I've ever been in. Yeah, no, amazing. Um, 
is that something you love like mixing obviously for someone like you you need the convenience of the digital world but it's great to chuck in a few old simpson things as well like the profit you mentioned yeah and i love it in the sense of like it's the story of the song you know i i'm obsessed with like song exploder and, and podcasts like that and well, now a Netflix show, isn't it? Um, you know, and yeah. and things like that where artists will talk about, you know, we pointed these mics at, at the bathroom and then the drummer stood in there playing the snare while he was in the bath and we actually filled the bath with water and these crazy stories where you're like, whoa, that's so cool. And then people obsess over it and they can never get the same sound because of how you did it. Whereas if I just use a preset on a plugin that, everyone got yesterday all all our music's going to sound the same and i'm not saying i don't open up splice and and grab a drum kit or grab a whole bass line sometimes but then i'll i'll mix it with like a little banjo i found from the from the uh cancer trust shop down the road or or a drum beat from from the casio keyboard and it just gives the song a story and i really like that and that's been a huge process for push baby. I mean, Charlie and Jake will come around and just experiment with all the stuff in the studio and, and we'll end up miking up an odd little instrument and playing guitar, playing like funk guitar through it or something. And suddenly it just, you end up making something you'd never make. And I love that in, in the same way that picking up a cat and sampling, it's meow. You'd never get that from a plugin, would you? No, of course. <laughs> That leads me on to what, what plugins have you been using? Yeah, well, lots. I mean, I have been, what I'll do, I'll, I will open up Logic. Um, I, I taught myself Ableton at the beginning of the pandemic just to, just to like become a beginner at something again and, and kind of like see what it was like working on an, on another uh, DAW. Um, but recently I've gone back to Logic and I have been, I've been loving Heinbach's plugin. Um, it's by a company called, I just want to get this right, Audio Thing. And his plugin's called Wires. Um, and it's absolutely awesome. It's basically, I think it's based on an old Russian kind of like mad like processing unit. And you can basically make everything sound really crispy and lo fi. I think you'd love it for your music, Adam, as well, actually. Uh, but um yeah wires is great that's been really up there i've got really into a company called good hertz it's not owned by wolfpack but it's it's a lot of people that are in the wolfpack scene um Mm. and they've got an incredible plugin called lossy and it makes everything sound like almost like a bad a bad quality like mp3 that you downloaded on limewire in 1993 or something um probably not 93 that's a bit too early probably 99 um and uh i love that i mean if that isn't a sign of like us trying to sound like what we were into when we were younger i don't know what is kind of thing um so that's great um what else has been good i'm trying to think some of the synths i'm still obsessed with the sound toys collection they're brilliant um which one's the most from sound toys. sound toys um filter freak is just a phenomenal filter um decapitator such a lovely sounding uh distortion unit um and little altar boy for vocals is incredible for just doing I, I, for ages it used to always be about like 
really like low pitch like hip-hop vocals and stuff but recently i've been loving a technique i've been loving is in the choruses especially with, especially with female vocals having a really ethereal pitched up the octave vocal that's just like glistening and like almost like a little fairy sitting at the top of the mix and i've been yeah. using little altar boy and valhalla vintage verb uh, to kind of achieve that result and i've been loving doing that um what else have I been loving at the moment? Um, sorry, what was that? You use any of the like big guns, like Waves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waves is great. Um, I recently did a cull because I had so many Waves plugins, and I was like, you know what? I'm not using half of these, so I'm just going to get the ones that are my essentials. And that has really been the C1 compressor. Uh, I use that for most of my side chaining needs, which is really good. Um, then I CLA vocals is, is always a fun place to start, especially if you're just doing a demo and you want to just get your vocal sounding like a pop record. That's really good. Um, their, uh, their sound shifter plugin is also my number one pitch shifting plugin, which has really been a huge part of my arsenal these days is like recording an acoustic guitar, pitch shift it up the octave it sounds like a mandolin what can we do with that you know just like putting things into the pitches that you wouldn't intend them to be in i love that um i'm just thinking if there's been any nice synths that i haven't mentioned to you before that i've been using um oh just on wait you've been using them for years haven't you yeah yeah waves are certainly you know such a high caliber i i've loved them um I've been loving uh, Spitfire Labs. I can't recommend that enough for new producers. Totally free. Do you use the lab stuff, Adam? Uh, unofficially, I might have released a song that's just the soft piano. Sick. I mean, how good. It's how good. I, <laughs> um, fake piano in my life, and the pandemic happened. I was like, oh, okay. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so lab soft piano, and actually uh, Native Instruments, Una, Corda, they're both phenomenal. Yeah. Love them. I'm pretty sure Beyonce's song that uses the soft piano. What's that, sorry? I'm pretty sure Beyonce has a track that uses the soft yeah. piano. Yeah, oh, mate, I'm not surprised. It's it's phenomenal. And then I think Piano Book as well, uh, which is obviously run by Christian Henson of Spitfire. That's an amazing resource to, to just pop on and like find really intriguing. It's basically a collection. It's like a diary, but if instead of words people were just uploading like their family piano so you can get like a piano from soviet russia or you can get a piano from down the road in fulham and and then you can just load it in as a sampled instrument and i think that that is awesome so exciting um yeah do you use any other Spitfire stuff besides the labs um yeah i use um the i've started getting into their originals series uh so i recently got um and entropy by Alex Epton, which mm -hmm. I love, and also uh, the the drumline plugin, which is all based on like Marine Corps kind of a uh, or like kind of like high school marching band stuff, and that is awesome, mm -hmm. really really cool, very kind of Gwen Stefani. This shit is bananas, B N A N S. <laughs> um, so that that's been really fun, and also most recently I treated myself to buying uh omnisphere by spectrosonics and that is absolutely 
what a game changer. Which is synths, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's their it's their synth collection, and you've got everything from matchbox pianos to um, crazy samples of old prophets and things. And what is actually amazing with Omnisphere is if you're lucky enough to have a hardware synth. So for me, I've got this the Prophet Six by Sequential. You can actually control Omnisphere with all of the parameters on the synths. So say you reduce the cutoff filter on the profit, it reduces the cutoff filter on Omnisphere. And that's incredible. You know, you turn the distortion knob and it distorts your signal. And so it's, it's almost like hardware digital. It's incredible. That's mad. Yeah. Cause I guess people, the reason they love analog synths is actually being able to touch. Exactly. So we're getting to the stage now where they're becoming one, which is really cool. Um, so I've been, I, I, I try and think of a lot of, I have a lot of plugins, but I try and think of plugins as almost like pants and socks where it's like, use mm. them to, you know, they, they're not the, the most exciting thing, but like have the bare minimum so that you can kind of like, so that they're useful, but then decorate them with all of the fun stuff, which for me is my sense, which I guess is t-shirts <laughs> in the, uh, socks and pants mm. metaphor. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, are you on the same like sound card and speaker since we last spoke? Yeah, so I've, I, I think so. I've, I, I'm using the Apollo X8 uh, by Universal Audio, and um, mm. I love that. I mean, I, I've just recently bought a uh, Behringer. Um, let me just check what it's called. Uh, uh, uh. Behringer Ultra Gain Digital, which is like a, an expansion unit, and it basically connects via ADAT. Uh, and gives me an extra eight inputs, which is great. And it means basically, so I've got my Apollo, which has my guitar, my bass, my microphone, my most of my synths and my patch bay running into it. So, and then on the other side of my studio, which is just behind me, I've got basically like a little live jam station, which has got an OP one an SH one Oh one. It's even got a little, um, Tascam cassette porter studio, which I use for crazy drones these days. And, um, and, and it basically just expands it. It means I've got more inputs. And if I've got one piece of advice for new producers, it's just try and get to the stage where you've got everything plugged in. So it's as easy as possible for you. Cause I think yeah. back in the day, you know, e- even if you've got to go to a drawer, pull out that synth that you bought, find the power supply, the idea has gone you know, whereas at least if you can just have it plugged in, it doesn't even have to be a lot of stuff. If you've got three, three little pocket operators or something, try and have them all plugged up. Um, and it just means that then at the click, the snap of your fingers, you can kind of get creative. Yeah. Amazing. And can you remind me of your speakers? Sorry? Yeah. Um, I have got the Genelex. Um, they are the, I'm just going to double check what ones they are. They're really good. Uh, Genelec AE. Uh, 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 uh. Let me just check. You probably know this. Genelec AE20s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have they recently? They, they've been great. You know, what was a real game changer for me is um, getting the correct stands for them so that they could point upwards at my ears. I think it's very easy to think that you can just get some speakers and chuck them on a piece of foam and that'll be fine but very rarely 
do producers have them pointed at their ears, which is actually so important, you know? And one of my friends, I, I sent him a picture of my desk set up and he went, I know you're going to hate me for it because they're expensive, but get some good speaker stands because it will change everything. And he was so right. It was, it was such a game changer. Amazing. Yeah. Um, how long have you had those? Um, I think I've had them now for, I would say two years, I think. And then the speaker stands I got about four months ago. And like I said, it, it feels like a different room now. I presume you're not thinking of changing the general accent. No, I don't think so. I mean, I've got, I've got some beautiful focals in my uh, Wandsworth studio, which at the moment I'm not really using because of uh, the pandemic, but eventually the dream is to do the garden studio thing when okay. one day, <laughs> you know. All right, dude, I promise this wouldn't be like a four hour podcast. So we better. Yeah, no, that, that's all good. Oh, the, the, the one other thing I wanted to mention was um, I'm just about to get into mo- modular synthesis, which is going to be a whole other wormhole yeah <laughs> but um but i i've i've only ordered one unit so far and it's um plats by mutable instruments and uh i'm very excited next time to let you know how i get on <laughs> i'll just sound incredible but i just look at them and i can't get my head around i know i think that's why i'm excited about it i guess i guess it's that thing of being like like I was saying earlier, you're suddenly a complete beginner at something. And I know I'm going to make some mad noises that my wife's going to go, what's going on over there. You're trying to contact aliens, but there might just be one little blip that leads to, uh, that Grammy I've always wanted. (laughs) I found this artist on YouTube called Helen Vogel singer. I think she's called and she French lady. who just goes to these like abandoned, warehouses that are all completely decrepit and she'll take all her modular simps and sit on the floor that's just just based on like the place and it's like yeah i've seen some of her videos on fact magazine yeah they're great but again it's just like the fact that she's not pressing any keys that's what blows my mind (laughs) i don't understand how she's doing yeah oh it's insane i it's tough to know where to start but i have to say and this isn't endorsed at all but um there's a company called um create audio and they've just put out um something called the nifty bundle and it's basically like a modular case and you get two units with it and a bunch of patch cables and it basically means that you've it arrives and you're good to go and then you can expand it if you want or stay comfortable with that and it's pretty good price actually so so that's what i've ordered for this first for this first foray into modular but probably the next time we chat i'll have remortgaged the flat and have about 20 new units <laughs> i'm sure your wife will be delighted yeah exactly you. jesus <laughs> well dude the red carpet's still out so any last things you wanted to plug before we thanks say man um well i guess just some of the artists that i've been working with um awesome artists called noah fintz we released um a bunch of uh music last year and he's just signed to hopeless records and we've got some awesome tracks coming out with them um and then also two incredible artists i've been helping develop an artist called sophie marone who is blowing up on tiktok which is really exciting she does songwriting videos kind of much like mine on twitch but just for tiktok and then an incredible artist called uh tree t-r-i-i 
who is inspired by a lot of the work of like Johan Johansson and some incredible kind of cinematic sound uh, soundtrack composers really. But she does this kind of dark alternative pop that I've been uh, helping put together with her. And I'm, we've got a cover of Jamiroquai's Deeper Underground out on Spotify. Um, but um, we're working on the next material and it's sounding so big. So thought I'd plug her. <laughs> I want to hear a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you like it. <laughs> I think I will. Oh, dude, well, thanks so much for your time. It's been amazing as always. Dude, anytime. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, really look, look forward to the next one. Yeah. Hopefully back at your flat in Putney. That'd be lovely. With no, with no scratches from my cat this time. Sorry about that. <laughs> I wish I still had scars from that, but no, it's all healed up. So oh, damn it. <laughs> right, nice one, dude. Have a lovely day, man. Cheers, dude. You too. Thanks, dude. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.